with Winston's Lab once again becoming a topical story within the Overwatch community, I thought it was a good time to sort of look at what Winston's Lab did up until now and how it really helped us to expand our ideas about Overwatch as a game and really what its achievements are uh, in terms of statistical analysis. Now I will give a brief disclaimer. If you, for instance, look at my Twitter profile, I'm currently self-identifying as a writer for them. I'm not contracted to them. It's just a platform I use to put my content on. on. I'm a good friend to Baroy, who's uh, the coder behind uh, Winston's Lab and who also does statistical analysis. And that is as far as my involvement goes with the, uh, with the eSports Lab team that is the company behind Winston's Lab. Um, I've, I haven't taken part in any business meetings or anything of the sort. Now, just to briefly address uh, the elephant in the room, I actually don't have any inside knowledge, but from my, from, to the best of my ability, I don't think it is decided yet if the statistical uh, aggregation of stats in terms of uh, Overwatch League games, for instance, will actually be cut off. What will stop to happen is Winston's Lab Pro is shutting down. And Winston's Lab Pro was a service for both Overwatch League teams or contenders teams, whoever was willing to pay a monthly fee for their statistics um, from scrims, for instance, uh, to be made available to them. And then also, Baroy offered uh, statistical analysis based on these stats for a premium price. Now that is probably not going to continue. That is my my last information I have. I don't have any other information past that. That is also not my place to say. Now, also, of course, let's get this also out of the way. I don't know of any Blizzard interference and I don't know if Blizzard had any bearing on the situation. If anything, what Blizzard did forced this, I couldn't be, I wouldn't be able to tell you uh, much about that. This video is strictly about the history of Winston's Lab and if it was to be gone, which I frankly don't know is the case, why that would be a detrimental thing to the community. Now, my exposure to Winston's Lab was really meeting Baroy and really with a couple of other people musing long nights over uh, statistics. And the mesmerizing thing about Baroy really is that if you have a statistical question that is within his stats aggregation, so his bot tracker is able to scan certain information, then he will be able to compute that with you. If it isn't overly complex, probably he will come back to you within a day. He is so in tune with the stats he has. He seems to be a great coder. That's just someone, you know, I have no coding experience, but he seems to be very capable of simply doing things. That always struck me about Baroy, who is pretty much the doer of, I would wager or guess, 80 to 90% of everything you see when you interact with Winston's Lab, is that he is not something that really goes into the community limelight. He's, he'd rather be working than going out into the public. And I think that also 
speaks for his qualities as a creator because people who talk a lot probably don't do a lot. That is generally my take on uh, producers in certain fields, on coaches as well. Now, he generally, I would say, had the idea of make it and they will come. He simply kept creating all these statistical tools, which I will talk about a little bit later, and try to amass uh, an audience who are interested in statistics. Obviously, Overwatch very much missing statistics. And interestingly, the, the most frequent audiences were either pro players, who were obviously very interested in their statistics, but also especially Korean audiences. So a lot of the traffic, from what I know, comes from Korea, and people are very interested in these kinds of things. Even though Winceslab is an American site and written in English, the uh, I believe a majority of their content comes from Korea, which is quite interesting, and certainly also explains why why he had to split off into Contenders Korea. But you say, well, why does he not provide stats for NA Contenders and EU Contenders? Well, for one. I will have to explain a little bit about how Winceslab aggregates its statistics. So it has a VOD recorder, which basically scans certain parts of a video file that is Overwatch, an Overwatch game, and it's namely the kill, kill field, and I don't actually know if there's anything else being scanned. And it then takes the, that information of who killed and uh, killed with what and what time frame and puts them into a database. Now, a lot of manual labor is actually still required for this to happen. So one thing you definitely need is you need to enter the scores of the match. So it, can, it can't read out the scores, the final scores, like for instance on King of the Hill maps, can't read by itself, it's a 2-1 or 1-1 I believe. You have to enter the moments when a point was capped, for instance, on hybrid maps and whatever. And you would have to enter the player names also in the correct order that the uh, match keeps happening. So sometimes there are VODs where people keep within the lobby, keep switching around the player names. You would have to go over that. It, it, it takes... It's a... A lot of work to do, really, and you also shouldn't be making many mistakes if you want your the the statistical framework that you have to be as accurate as possible. Now, the scanner itself, for the longest time, and I'm not sure what the current state is, needed to be pixel perfect. So it had certain pixels on the video frame feed that it would read out and gather information based on that. And sometimes certain streams would be off by a couple of pixels. Or the screen would be, for instance, that was a big thing, I remember. Uh, when the team colors came in, Baroy had to recode the entire VOD recorder and basically um, reinvent the thing because suddenly his reading uh, methods weren't working any longer. So that was a huge amount of work once again. Um, and even when that was done, Sometimes, for instance, and obviously the normal user would never notice this, but the broadcast was up maybe by, by two pixels, and that would already mess with the VOD recorder as it was programmed, and only later some of those issues were resol resolved. Then also, these 
sort of slides to one side that made the VOD recorder not work would be very random. So you wouldn't know what's happening. So what did Baroy do instead of sometimes, you know, having to record the entire thing, obviously if the problem doesn't persist 90% of the time, you can apply quick fixes and still be efficient. But what he would have to do is re-render videos with those pixels once again, you know, shoved in the right direction so what recorder would work. That would take a tremendous amount of time, right? Keep in mind, this is for every Overwatch League game has been recorded on uh, Winston's lab. I believe every preseason game, I believe every Contenders Korea game, this is a lot of work. Just every day goes into that and if you have it uh, four days a week and then obviously also do tennis career you can imagine what one guy has to be doing because Baroy was really to a significant portion like I think I did like two games maybe Volumel did maybe one here and there but I'm not sure if anyone even scratched on the one percentages of the amount of games that Baroy has recorded for this site. Now, okay, let's let's look at it here. Okay, so I already explained why then EU and NA players would sometimes be disgruntled, would say, ah, oh, what what what's happening here? Why are you not recording our games? Well, it simply wasn't really feasible uh, for the goals that Baroy and Winston's Lab had to provide those stats, and. I think ultimately it would have probably been a good choice to either get volunteers or have some sort of VOD recording software that managed automates the process, even though that's very hard, or to be very smart about things. For instance, I theorized something about a capture where you uh, maybe, like, in order to access certain web pages on Winston's lab, you would have to fill in the specific time time windows um, that. For instance, a point was kept simply to, in order to uh, give people, you know, a minor effort to use Winston's lab while they are passively sort of aggregating stats for you and doing the, the labor that is very hard for one person to do, not as much for the others. Now, this to this point obviously hasn't happened. You can freely browse uh, Winston's lab. There's for free users, there's really the full package, you get all these stats that are available for Overwatch League. And that some of the stats are actually extremely useful. Now, we obviously start with kills per turn, we start with death, we start with uh, kill-death ratios, whatever. We have ultimate charge, or he had ultimate charge rates for, for the longest time. Ultimate efficiency was a thing, so if a p person uses his ultimate in a fight, how long, uh, how high is his win percentage? And already in this, I used a concept that to us seems intuitive, but for someone that's designing software, actually has to solve this problem first. So let's get a little bit into the interesting findings and major contributions of Winston's lab to statistical analysis. So let's start with the concept of a fight. That is already very hard to define, and I think if I tell you the definition of a fight within Winston's lab, you will immediately find not only semantic issues with it, but sometimes practical issues, but by the law of large numbers, it they seemingly shrink and become really not that important. And we also found that the definition overall held up pretty well. So the definition is as follows. A fight is starts the instant someone gets killed, and then if 
15 seconds after the last happening kill, nobody's killed, the fight is over. So fight start is someone gets killed, if someone else gets killed, the timer resets 15, 15, 15, once again. And then once no kill has happened in 15 seconds, the fight is over. Obviously, some of the fights then get messy, especially if you're in a staggering situation on 2CP. One has to live with that and also consider that in their statistical analysis, right? That always had to be taken into account. But this made it so that we suddenly had a framework to sort of slot the certain kills within the fight definition and then also derive meaningful metrics from that. The, the fight definition seems to be sort of simplistic, but actually was quite genius in order to sp uh, suddenly f start working with them. Because what's the alternative? When Can you even tell me when a fight starts? Is it when the first damage gets out? Or is it even just if Widowmakers miss each other, but they're already shooting? What's a fight, right? I think uh, the definition that Winceslab took was quite interesting. Now, another very important uh, sort of thing that came from that fight definition was the importance of first kills in seemingly every single meta. Now, a first kill is basically the first kill that happens in a fight, and no matter if a refrag happens immediately after, the win percentage of the team that gets the first kill, disregarding all ultimate states, and obviously they are different for certain ultimate states, but the average is at a 76 to 78 percentile. All right, so the vast majority of fights where you concede first kill, you are losing, right? And that obviously, yes, people would have thought as much, but the interesting part was how big it was and then also how little ultimates actually mattered in that regard. Because in order to neutralize the first kill you're receiving, you would have to have a four count ultimate advantage. And obviously we're not contextualizing what kind of ultimates are these four, but on average, if you concede first kill, you must invest four more ultimates in order to be even at a 50 percentile win chance in that fight empirically. Now, that I don't think that is intuitively the case. I think the vast majority of the player base still thinks that 5v6s are perfectly engageable and only in the rarest cases that actually holds true. Now, another thing that Winston Slap uh, in created or Baroy created are the player ratings. And they caused some controversy, I have to say. I think when we talked about player ratings with Boroy, we were always, of course, sort of critical of the concept. He himself would actually tell you that it has limited applications on when it is useful. You actually have to have a lot of background knowledge on what these stats mean, hero to hero, player archetype to player archetype, game state to game state and also map to map, right? So the the ratings really have very limited telling power, but I guess over a large amount of games or a lot of large amount of time played, they get increasingly more important and then you once again have to correctly contextualize them. Why they would be important, for instance, is that 
For instance, I've seen them pop up every once in a while on ESPN, right? So they they put these statistics on their uh, esports Twitter, and they use them and try to justify uh, certain players' strength that way. While I personally have some issues with that, and I think it's generally a little lazy on the analysis side there, because there, a lot of contextualization would have to happen to make it to a point where I personally feel like uh, comfortable with that situation I don't mind it as a just a quick you know little piece of information that hopefully people don't take as seriously I've often jo laughed um, about the fact I I sort of uh, jokingly call Baroy the Oppenheimer of um, Overwatch simply by giving the statistics to the to the community it is then possible for the for them to do whatever they want with that knowledge, and obviously statistics are up to the person to be misinterpreted. That we at in that circle of friends around Baroy were really always very cautious in interpreting them, also asking him because he obviously has the most um, experience with them. Also in Overwatch League context. He, once again, did analysis for some Overwatch League teams as well as Contenders teams. So that was certainly the guy we were very eager to listen to and learned a ton about statistics based on that. Now, another big thing that uh, Winston's lab found out, and I think this also is a paradigm blower that still hasn't really absolutely hit the community yet, and that is the PTK model. The PTK model is the percentage P of team T kills, percentage of team kills, right? So you can then divide basically how much percentage does it um, the DPS get or this specific DPS get. I, for instance, created uh, the the like phrase, the Fledder deadlift from that, where Fledder in two games uh, on while he was on Flashlux had over 50% of the kills. Just imagine that in a, in a game of Overwatch. Absolutely incredible, right? But most of the time, very good DPS carries are at sort of like 30%, maybe 32, very far away from 50 usually, right? But the, the real story of the PTK model was the following. Historically, the team where the tanks and supports had proportionately or relatively higher kill percentage in comparison to teams with high uh, DPS percentages were much more victorious or championship winning than those that had high PTK shares for their DPS. So to put that in other words, teams that were DPS heavy had a lot of trouble, especially in Apex, to win the league. Most of the time, teams were carried by their tanks and support lines. And one specific case, for instance, definitely here is Lunatic High. They always had a very high PTK share in that regard, right? So um, Miro and Zumba would get a lot of kills, and then obviously Jaehong and Toby would also, and only the, the DPS were almost, well, at least one of them was mostly um, a supportive type of player, right? And Baroy looked at these numbers, looked at the PTK share and saw, wait, that is a pattern. That is almost true for every single um, tracked Overwatch champion in history. And only ever few teams over the Apex season popped up. For instance, KDP 
comes to mind in Apex Season 3 with Bertrand and Rascal, where they had a higher TPTK share. Once again, in the finals, couldn't be victorious, could they? Now, just to list off a couple of more achievements that uh, Winston's Lab had or nice things they found out. For instance, Baroy also wrote an article on why best of five shouldn't be used in control maps. Sort of gave the mathematical backline here, also made the time frame argument. And then furthermore, now this is interesting, found out that the team that wins the first fight wins the sub-map 69% of the time. Now, almost 70% of the time. So that really tells you the story of how important the first fights are. And because they are geometrical and you don't actually know what the opponent is running and so much seemingly random, yes, not true random, but sort of random things can happen in Overwatch. Something like a random rocket lands here, the the Junkrat's uh, mine bounces weirdly or whatever, like the, the left click. All these things can happen that can drastically turn one singular fight, and that isn't as much of a problem in the grand scheme of things, but on the one sub-map, that can actually turn the fight and then roll into big advantages. Because, once again, we assume not only positional advantage is pretty good on King of the Hill, but also the old advantage that you get from winning that first fight, right? So what, what other, like, little tidbits we had? For instance, uh, let me list one more. I personally was absolutely blown away looking at old effectiveness of heroes, especially in Season 1 of the Overwatch League. And there are certain metrics to value ultimate strength by. I personally like 6v6 ults when used, how high is the win percentage also stacked up against another amount of ultimates used. And long story short, if you want to believe me here, my assumption or my read on the data I received from that, and I think Baroy would also agree with that, Orisa's ult, for instance, is one of the most impactful in the Overwatch, in the Overwatch League Season 1 in terms of if you use Orisa's ult, the win percentage in almost all situations was through the roof. Only ever, for instance, Junkrat Tire could rival it over the season, and obviously Junkrat Tire was completely busted on some maps. I think there were ridiculous scenarios like if your team didn't use uh, Junkrat Tire, but the opponent team used Junkrat Tire, then you would lose the fight, I think, 80% of the time or something, maybe slightly below 80% on Junkrat Town specifically. Obviously, ridiculous notes. No, but Oresa didn't seem to be that limited in terms of old power to the maps uh, she used it on. Obviously, Orisa, yes, limited on the maps she is played on, but her old overall was pretty solid over all types of applications. And I personally, from being a, uh, like a you know casual player myself, and from looking at the game, never perceived it as dramatic. Yes, I obviously thought, yes, this is an ult, it's invested. Would you have thought that it's better than trance? I don't know, right? So, I hope I could sort of illuminate some of the gifts that, Overwatch, uh, that sorry, Winston's Lab had to the Overwatch community. I thought there will be a, um, 
a little bit of appreciation for the work that it took, especially Baroy, to achieve this. And also the guys behind it. I know, for instance, um, Trevor May, the baseball player, is part of Esports Lab, had, was an acting CEO there. So there's definitely tons of people behind the scenes that I'm not mentioning here. Please keep that in mind while I sort of tell you my story with it, because I can only tell you it from my exposure. And as I've seen it, Baroy was one of the major contributing factors here in uh, for Winston's lab. All right. With that said, thanks for watching.